Welcome to another edition of the Arantia Radio Podcast. I'm Jim Watkins, your host. What would it be like to go to a very different country where the average monthly income is under $3, where five bordering countries surround you, two of which have refugees pouring in because of the lack of food, civil wars abound, religious persecution surrounds, and yet, despite all of these challenges, the revelation continues to grow in Uganda, from the seeds planted from people like the one I'm about to introduce you to, right here on the Arantia Radio Podcast. This time up on the Arantia Radio Podcast, we meet a second-generation Arantia book reader by the name of April Helen. What's it like to share the revelation with folks who have a vastly different cultural view? Let's find out. April Helen, my guest this time up on the Arantia Radio Podcast. Joseph's face was black as night The pale yellow moon shone in his eyes His path was marked by the stars in the southern hemisphere And he walked his days under Africa's skies This is the story of how we begin to remember Falling and calling your name out These are the roots of rhythm And the roots of rhythm remain I've talked to a couple of people who talk about how well the Arantia book is doing in Africa and that is of great interest to me because Africa, obviously everybody knows it's a beautiful country but there's so many problems that the, the, the continent itself is facing because you've got all these semi-Marxist governments, you've got all the slaughter, uh, religious stuff going on, and it's just like of all the places the Arantia book could possibly not do well in, I would think it would be Africa or most of the co- uh, countries in Africa. And then you write me this thing, and I'm reading about it, and uh, and it sounds like the people in of Uganda, I mean, they're just reacting to this book in a very nice way, and I and I I thought I'd pick your brain on it, so. First of all, what is going on in Uganda uh, with the Arantia book? Tell my listeners about that. What's going on over there? Yeah, well, I, having been over there in August of 2022, I then got really interested in what happened before that. And it originally... Now, if this was the first, I'm not too sure, but what I my research led me to was that Norman Ingram was really the first major player in a worldwide library placement program that he did in the late, began in the late uh, 90s. And that's also when the the power couple of Pato Banton and Antoine Roots Data also began going over there and building relationships in Africa. And they well, we'll go into that a little bit later of their current Ubuntu project with Gar Jameson. However, you know, as you say this, you're it's an interesting take on 
what you say most of the world understands about those countries. And yes, I admit to having just a very small lens of what I saw, yet I did hear from personal conversations while I was over there with the delegates to the first Ugandan Uranian Shabbat conference that several of them had to be quiet about their reading of the papers. And and so it's definitely an uh, organic grassroots growth of Christian leaders, Muslim leaders, uh, unaffiliated readers having their passion around the message of the book, yet being quiet about it mostly. But then, of course, when you get together with a group of other Urantia book readers, you can be a little bit more um, explicit. And that's exactly why I like to, like you, Mr. Jim, are on these platforms like podcasts or even going to book fairs and being a representative. Like I just came back from the parliament of the world's religions where you're in the midst of near 10,000 people having an open mind to hear what you have to say about your philosophy. And yeah, it's pretty exciting to go into these places, especially like Uganda where the message is so new and and hear about other countries in that on that continent like nigeria and the congo i believe are much more active in its readership so definitely uganda is much younger on the playing field yet it's it's growing and I would probably say the participation at the conference out of maybe 80 people, you know, probably half of them were super young readers, meaning new readers, and actually the demographics, which is so much different than it is here in the United States, of actually younger aged readers versus what we have here is mostly an, an older demographic. <laughs> yeah. I'm at 45, uh, one of the younger readers here. And that's <laughs> curious to me as well. Yet over there, even a lot of them hadn't even heard about it until they were traveling there. It was like some of their buddies just said, hey, wait, we're, we're going to this thing and why don't you come along with us? Yeah. And while we were there, several, there was one talk in particular near the beginning of the conference that the conversation moved to it being a curiosity that the Yerushalayim message was trying to take over or dismiss the biblical teachings and yeah. there was a little animosity you could feel in the room yet it was by some of the other more knowledgeable readers uh, 
calm down that situation by saying there's truth in every book and the Arantia book is just an an expanded version of what we know and to remain open to the truths to anywhere that you can receive it. And that's definitely something that I appreciate about the unique qualities of everything that is offered here on the planet in, in any book or person or situation challenge very much often challenge is where we find our wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> so that's exciting to see. Well, I want to just interject here a little bit of context of what you're saying, because uh, there's not stuff that I just happen to know, uh, but some interesting facts about the country. It's primarily Roman Catholic, which I didn't know. Uh, then there's the Church of Uganda, which is about 30% which is slightly down, and then uh, evangelical, Pentecostal represents a very small percentage, under about 10%. 13% is represented by the by Muslims, so I thought that would be much higher. Uh, and it borders, like you say, a DRC, Democrat, Democratic Republic of Congo, and then the other uh, countries that surround it include Rwanda, Tanzania, South Sudan, and I just mentioned DRC. So it's it's landlocked, but it's got this incredible reputation for being a place to go see gorillas and elephants everywhere, and waterfalls and beautiful pristine lakes. And I imagine is it is it mountainous? Do you see any mountains there? It's not flat, is it? There's also like mountains, and can you see mount? What's that big mountain in? Is it Kenya? I'm not sure, but. How long were you there? And and yeah, how long were you there? When did you go? Yeah, well, on that, I think it is Kenya. And thank you for all of those facts that actually I didn't even know. Yeah, right. I so mean, that thank would you make sense. for giving that context. <laughs> well, it's just. And <laughs> it was last uh, August of 2022. I was there for a month. And. The the conference was actually scheduled for 2020, and so the planning began in 2019 through the Spiritual Family Network, and then the Urantiavik Fellowship got on board in 2021 for additional planning administration and financial support. And as the world knows, the year 2020, why we took a step back (laughs) was obviously the quarantine. And so actually that was a really good thing because it provided a lot more time for these uh, organizations and the people planning it to come into greater collaborative teamwork, which as you know, Teamwork is one of, if not the most important lesson to be learned during our mortal career here right. on this planet and even in the universe, as far as I understand it. Yep. And and honestly, even being there, we could have used a lot more time in in that collaborative effort to get a little bit more clear. In fact, I wrote two blog posts. Uh, one was all about the experience at the conference, and then a whole nother one was inspired as how to move forward 
in this spirit-led teamwork in international organization service work, specifically um, commenting on the Arantia community worldwide. And so, you know, all of that just comes in stages. Each, each time we do something, of course, it ideally will progress the next time we do it. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it was a great asset to not only be in the program planning, which I am an adjunct on the International Fellowship Committee of the Arrangement Fellowship, and I also have direct ties to the other organization involved, Spiritual Family Network, that, you know, we just keep going in more conversation and more vetting of the people who are on on site, on location, in whatever particular country, in this case, Uganda, that we can start establishing deeper connections so we can have trust in where the money is going and the organizational process in that country that we can't see because we're across the pond. Mm -hmm. So I think that is one of the greatest things that I took away as my journey, I think, is going to be involved in international affairs, which actually is, still is as my secondary reason for going over to Uganda was this small orphanage north of where the conference was about three hours in a little district called Kamuli. And I have been for about two years supporting this small, like 18 kid <laughs> orphanage. And actually just last week after two years or actually four years of organizing it, we are, are now having all the kids in homeschooling. So now education is being provided. So that is really cool. I'll just give a little plug to the Vine of Hope Ministries. <laughs> And, and so just seeing those two different reasons of why I went over there allowed me to see a greater vision of the culture, you know, stepping outside of the Arantiavik movement into this other realm of rural, you know, town life, village life. And actually that gentleman, the director, Isabiri, is a new reader who has been inspired since that Uganda conference to bring the Arantiavik to his small district and the orphanage. So we got him the Tales of Joshua, the book that I was raised with as a second generation reader. And that's where the kids are starting with their Arantiavik inspired education. Of course, alongside English and math, science, history, so that is a, a pretty exciting project. If anybody out there wants to have anything to do with, you can contact me. So, so you just got up one day and decided you're going to go to Uganda and see and see if you can run into some Urantia book readers. Is that what you're telling me? Actually, I heard back in at, through the International Fellowship Committee and the desire for Spiritual Family Network to have this conference over there in 2019 
as soon as I heard it, I got, it was like my thought adjuster celebrating inside of my soul Mm -hmm. that you're going to go. I was like, Oh, okay. Well, I don't know how that's going to happen, but I'm open to it. Yeah. And then along the path, another, uh, that opportunity being a representative of the IFC, but also Crestwood foundation, who is a big supporter of mine of hope they were my sponsors to go on that trip. So everything just synchronistically fell in. Of course, mm-hmm. <laughs> the angels and midwares obviously sure. had something to do with that. That I got to experience that whole month-long journey. What is the difference in the way that maybe some of your experiences with, uh, what, are they, what do they call themselves, Ugandanese? Uh, what's their word for describing their their country are they ugandese what 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 is that term over there well i you know i just assumed it was ugandans ugandans okay i think it okay (laughs) uh do they look at what's the appeal what is there a common appeal to them uh in the book that's different from other countries like america or any other country do they look at it somebody told me once that because of Melchizedek is much more prominent, particularly in Islam, uh, but certainly in in African culture, uh, because of the you know Roman Catholics and the Angelicans. But do they have an, a certain affinity? What are they different in the way they approach the Urantia book than say we are? You know what I mean? You know what I'm Interesting. asking? Interesting. You know that that is a good question and the first thing that comes to my mind was honestly we didn't really get that deep into those kind of questions yeah yet if i were to intuitively from the experience that i had about what conversations came up at the conference during the presentations i would say jesus you know the life and in fact that's where most of the people had most of their experience reading Mm, were the life and teachings of Jesus, the fourth part of the book and, and, and all about the like art of living skills, like prayer life and living as the expression of spiritual values and everything, your words, thoughts, and deeds and he, you know, but also as humans, I've met many of them who didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. Yet, you know, we're all doing the best that we can with well, what we have. Let me ask you this. So in, I've had conversations with people, and this may be a difficult, sensitive subject, but I don't care. Uh, there are some things the Urantia book says, or, you know, in written in 1935, that would not, as we would say, be politically correct. You know what I'm saying about uh, the way that perhaps they just, uh, you know, the fact that the, you know, the way the Urantia book describes the culture or the, the backwardness of African uh, natives because of, I think, you know, environmental issues more than anything. But there, I've heard people tell me that the Urantia book comes across as being racist which, you know, I can tell them that they're stupid and explain to them why they're wrong. But that never comes, that's never discussed. You never had that issue with anybody in Uganda about some of the things that the Urantia book says about the different races and the attributes of the races. And, you know, I'm sure you, you know what I'm referring to. 
I do. And in fact, you're bringing up a very uh, popular subject, especially since the International Conference of the Arantiabic Fellowship just happened. And the one of the workshops that was the most attended was the panel on the race issue. So, so I'd like to know more about what that panel, I was serving the children's program the whole time. Mm-hmm. However, I heard a lot about it, but yes, you're right. I did not have that at all come up. And of course I was the only white girl Right. In the bunch of near 100, you know, 85 people. And I was welcomed with open arms and love and, you know, as they, whether that's a cultural thing of seeing. And I did. I got approached with a lot of hands out wanting something because. They thought I had money, and that was not not just with your Anchibic breeders, but that was everywhere I walked in that country. <laughs> is it pretty? So, how I, is it economically? Pretty bad. I mean, in your is it? Um, no, you know, I suppose it's just like this country or anywhere in the world that I've traveled. I see all sides anywhere I go, so it just depends on where you are. Is where you're going to see. Now, the stories that I've heard, there is great contrast um, of the classes. So, Mm -hmm. yes. And then I did, in the Kamuli district, visit the rural town. But then I was in the conference in Jinja, which was one of the major cities. So... I saw, I saw it all, and you know, I've internationally traveled most of my life, so that inequality doesn't really haunt me. Especially when we look at what the Uranshibik says about the inevitabilities of life, and for us to move forward and ascend towards the era of light life, there has to be these inequalities so that we have the opportunity to problem solve and mm-hmm. yeah. move towards that more enlightened era. But back to this, this race uh, comment that when I was there, that's something that your earlier question about the kind of the major takeaways that they see in the orange book, I would probably say that, the equality of the races is one of those mm-hmm. and and the the women's equality however even though they know that intellectually they're um culturally uh, i would say <laughs> far behind our very uh, tradition societies yeah. here in well, the u.s <laughs> you know the arrange book says we love our traditions we hang on to them you know we're very yeah. tradition-oriented. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right, and and it's uh, you know, and it reminds me of the comment where it says uh, in the government of another planet, where it talks about this one particular continent, and they're they're just about that stage where they're sending out ministers to other of the surrounding countries, and they're saying the the revelators, they're saying, don't do that. That's not what you do. What you do is you go and you pull people from that culture train them in the ways of the garden, you know, as a metaphor, and then send them back so that they can take what they've learned 
uh, the higher learnings, the higher education, the whatever, and then they can let it seed organically in their own country so it grows up within their own cultural char- characteristics. Uh, so uh, comment on that? I mean, is, is the Iran... Well, I really appreciate you saying that. That's exactly one of the points that I put in the second blog post of how do we move forward in empowering and supporting our global community and I quoted the government on the neighboring oh, planet. <laughs> and actually, um, there has been a pl- blueprint created from the Spiritual Family Network a few years ago where they did that. They brought over a popular bishop, um, Moses Karawa, I believe his name is, mm-hmm. to Canada for a three-week um, workshop on the life and teachings of Jesus. And he has been so successful in bringing people to the Arantia book now that he's returned in his country and visited other countries in Africa. And yes, I think that that establishing that, in fact, that's the, the vision that I have for the Vine of Hope ministry is eventually bringing the the kids over at at certain ages teenage years potentially yeah and or maybe even college and under the guise that they commit to returning to their culture and cities and homes yeah to be the the teachers in that way yeah well that's that's the better way right uh, yeah. So tell me a little bit about uh, the 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 international uh, religious conference that you went to. Uh, what are they all talking about today? Uh, oh, yeah, the Parliament of the World's Religions. Yeah. What, what's on their mind? Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe the listeners don't know, yet the Parliament of the World's Religions has been going on since the World's Fair in 1893. And... That's really where a a big springboard, not to say that interfaith conversation hasn't been prior to 1893, yet that's when it came on to the world map. And uh, organizations like NAIN, the North American Interfaith Network, um, and stuff like that has been around to have the conversations about things like spirituality and politics. And I think it was 1993 was the second, like a hundred years later, the second parliament of the world's religions. And ever since then, they have them every four to seven years. And that's been one of my favorite. I think I have, I've, been to them five times now because it's such a place of open-mindedness and open-heartedness. So the conversation this year was very much involving their theme, which was defending women's rights. Well, not just women, but defending rights, a call to consciousness and defending and empowering humanity. And yes, a lot of that still revolves around the the women's equality movement. 
So there were so many workshops and yeah. plenary speakers and a wonderful exhibit hall, all all different, not just workshops on this theme, yet everything from cultivating inner awareness to having cultural artist displays like music and dance and what you know the arrangement book movement had i think four representations in the expo and many of the readers in our community put on workshops and yeah, yeah so it's just so one of you... those i highly encourage people to go to those future events do you uh, think... or any interfaith work you know i think interfaith work is one of the grounds that the era of light and life can truly be fostered when we have people of spiritual higher spiritual consciousness getting together and talking respectfully and finding unity through diversity is one of the most powerful places that we as a, a family of humans can move forward on this planet. Do you think I, I have to, we'll have to have a separate talk about that. Cause that's a whole other yeah, room of stuff, you know, uh, because some of the words that are used, like some of the words that you use, uh, they're, uh, what's the, you know, like the word empowerment. I hear that word bantered about empower the children, empower this, empower that. But sometimes I think, you know, people, uh, reserve the right to too much what they call, or what I call unearned power. It's like, you know, children, mm. you, there's a certain amount of humility that you have to have, uh, humbleness. And you don't walk around thinking about how empowered you are. You think about how you want to serve other people. So that should be the impetus for what you're doing in your daily life. How do I make the world a better place? Not how do I make the world a better place for me? And I think that's what gets lost sometimes. I'm not saying that people shouldn't feel good about who they are and what they're doing. But, you know, it, empowering must come with a certain amount of you earned it. And it's not just something that you're entitled to uh, when it comes to that. And I think our kids are growing up with a sense of too much self-importance. And then they grow up to be little radical activists, you know, and, uh, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but again, that's a subject for another day. So did you get the sense that more people are aware of the Arantia book now than say 10 years ago? Uh, and they maybe not know much about it or what's your assessment of how people either recognize or don't res recognize the Arantia book? Well, I, w I would probably say yes to what you said. More interest, curiosity, and acknowledgement, yet it'll take time for the study, especially because it's, you know, in English, and English as a second language, even though English is the official language, most of them come about it as a second language. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of uh, translation opportunity <laughs> for years to come in all areas of the world, but definitely uh, Africa 
and that has any there's one person that i know a young man very interested and devoted to that project in the lugandan they call it is their secondary official language um, apart mm-hmm. from english that that actually is lower on the totem hole pole say relative to i think swahili Mm-hmm. might be the first translation mm. that happens over there yet that's something that in my other blog post of how to uh, help them be more self-sustainable is give them tools for studying and not just giving them money yeah right i'm i'm all about figuring out how we can well, I use the word empower in that way to take it on themselves as the responsible party to help their neighbors study it and be more free. So study guides it translated into other languages. And, and of course, the fellowship has a lot of opportunity there. So again, this yeah. is a shout out to any listeners that want to be on board. There's so much service opportunity if you want to get involved. I imagine uh, teachers, uh, you know, I have this theory, and it's actually quite funny, I think. But I've noticed that people who are very religious very rarely ever read their books. They, they seem to know a lot about them, but they don't actually take the time to read them. Like the Book of Mormon. Have you ever met anybody who's actually... <laughs> but yet yeah, there are more Or the Bible. <laughs> or the Bible. <laughs> yeah, they might read the Gospels or Revelation once or twice, and that's it. And then they think they're experts. But um, people are not... I, as a Urantia book reader, if I had not ever heard of it and today I found it, I would lie. I don't have time to read that. <laughs> I can't read all that. So, but yeah, uh, how do we get people to read the book? That's the, that's the question. Well, so yeah, what was coming to my mind was exactly what people like you and I are doing. And it's all about secondary works, you know, with this era that we're living in where people's attention span is becoming shorter and the people who actually like to read are becoming less how can we inspire them to read is by doing podcasts and i'm actually getting ready to publish my first children's book or things like blog posts or social media shorts or people like gary tong who do these beautiful videos and get them out to youtube so it's it's really all about the secondary works, I think. And I think that the more people who do secondary works projects, not just books, but all different kinds, that even if just one person catches that, that is doing a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I, here's a shout out to all of you listeners out there that if you're inspired to do something creative, even if someone else is doing it, they're not going to be doing it like you're going to do it. Yeah. So just do it. All right. <laughs> it's aprilhelen.com. Oh, okay. And, and I have so many different resources. And please, there's a contact page. If anybody out there wants to know about any of the service projects, I can connect you. Just get involved. You know, the life of loving service and living a life on purpose for the the brotherhood and the sisterhood of humankind 
that is that is where the love is at I've been thinking about the great migration Noon and night they leave the flock And I imagine their destination Meadow grass, jagged rock The Lord is my engineer The Lord is the earth I ride on The Lord is the face in the atmosphere You've been listening to my guest, April Helen, talking about a truly inspiring story, her story of living the revelation in Africa. A crystal comet Starlit night Silver moon To smooth the edge of daylight Now it turns Tribal voices Old and young Celebrations A history of family song The endless river flows as always, it's so wonderful that you're able to stop by. Always love hearing from you. Got a question or a comment? Your Radio at gmail.com. And I look forward to catching up with you on the next podcast right here on Your Rancher Radio. <laughs>